Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Right, welcome back to Gathered by the Ghost Light, original stories for radio theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, and sometimes voice actor on this thing. And I hope you all had a glorious Memorial Day weekend. Maybe you went to the theater to see a play. Maybe you saw a movie. Or maybe you just had a cookout with friends and family. Whatever you did, I hope it was amazing. And now, today... We are crossing over into episode number 29 with a new audio play written by playwright Greg Lamb. Greg Lamb is a playwright, a screenwriter, and a board game designer who lives in the Bay Area. He is the co-founder of the Asian American Playwright Collective and a member of the Pulp Stage Writers Room and the Pear Theaters Playwright Guild. And he's also a fellow podcaster himself with the Boston Podcast Players. I'll be talking with Greg later in the episode about all that good stuff, but first... Let's listen to one of his plays called Crossover Fiction. In this sci-fi tale, psychic alien cyborg detective Josie Moon is on the hunt for the escaped interdimensional villain Maximus Wolf. But when he creates a wormhole during his prison breakout, the boundary between fiction and reality is breached. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back and enjoy. This is Crossover Fiction, written by Greg Lamb, And be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with this writer. (laughs) At last, after three lifetimes spent in that dreadful interdimensional hellhole of a prison, I, Maximus Wolf, am finally free to take my rightful place and to rule the nine worlds of Xandor. You! Why, of course, if it isn't my favorite detective, Josie Moon. Have you come to join me in my hour of triumph? Quite a chase, Maximus. But he's at end. We'll pay for what you did to my lover. Lovely offer, my dear detective. But I'm afraid I will have to decline the invitation. Nowhere is left to run. Who said anything about running? Do you like my new toy? Your partner. No, excuse me. Your lover, Tor was his name. He was carrying the final piece of the puzzle. How dare you speak his name? Fight me, Maximus! See this? It's the key of worlds, and he didn't even know it, but I did. I do so regret having to torture him to death, but while I take no particular pleasure in the necessity of his demise, please allow me to demonstrate the results. Madman! What have you done? The question is, what have I made? A gateway between dimensions like none ever seen before. We'll find you wherever you run. This isn't just a simple wormhole. It's a breach between two realities. If I've calculated right, and I have, beyond this portal is a new universe with unimaginable wonders waiting for the right man to tame it. And I, Maximus Wolf, am that man. (laughs) Will not let you do this. 
I've said this so many times, Josie Moon, but you can't stop me, though I love to be seeing you try. Oh, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> What is this? Where has he gone? As her bionic scan analysis I reported, the most disturbing readings emanating from the shrinking portal. Josie remembered the last halting heaves of her lover's breath. After Tor's final heart had beat its last, she vowed that she would stop at nothing in her quest for vengeance. Josie took a breath, put on her concealment glasses, and took a nervous step from one world to another. From the mean streets of Xandor to the meaner streets of the strange new world called Earth. And that, my friends, is the end of chapter one. Thank you. Thank you all. That was the first chapter from my upcoming Josie Moon psychic cyborg alien detective novel, tentatively titled Brave Old World. The completed version will be available in all possible formats next spring. And all of the previous books are available right now at the front of the bookstore. Hope you all brought cash. <laughs> and thank you all once again for coming tonight. Oh boy, just two more, Tom. Just two more of these damn readings. Excuse me, Mr. Tom Cord? Ah, <gasps> uh, no, honey, look, I appreciate the effort, and that's a really cool thing you're doing with your voice, but I don't do cosplay, okay? Not as you think. There are signed copies of the book at the register, and if you miss the reading, you can subscribe to my Twitter feed for the next one. Good costume, by the way. Let me show you I. Look, I've seen sunglasses before, just... Oh. Oh my god, that... That's real, isn't it? That's a real scanalysis eye grafted into your eye socket. Stepped into this world, Tom Cord, some time ago. Very strange. Took time to acclimate. You aren't, I mean, that isn't- And what you made me. Psychic cyborg alien detective, yes? Apologies I took so long to find. No, no, not at all. Listen, we should get out of here. Find somewhere to talk. Put your sunglasses, your concealment glasses back on, please. To my hotel, yes? Have something to show. Okay, let's go. This is room. Come. Wow. Something is wrong? No, no. Just getting a better look at you. Why? Just amazing. I still can't get over this. Is that so? Tried to select typical room. Keep low profile. No, I mean, you're here. In real life. Not in my head. It's amazing. This is... Every author's dream. You write something like these silly books. No offense. And it's a total fantasy that just happened to catch enough of the nerd market to pay my rent. I had no idea that what I wrote could actually live, breathe. You, it's incredible. You're everything I imagined. God, you're beautiful. This will change everything. I'll be famous. I mean, really famous. I'm going to win awards. First, when I came, did not know Tom Cord. Did not know books. Only knew what I was created to know. Right. 
but you're a detective, a ruthlessly great detective. That's how I wrote you. You find things out by any means necessary. Solve problems. That's what you do. Had much to take care of. Right. You followed Maximus here. Oh my god. I just realized. If you're here, then he's here too. That's what Brave Old World is all about. In the novel, he comes through the portal first. I, Maximus Wolf, have seen wonders upon wonders in my time. I have stood upon the rings of Centauri Seven, passed through black holes, and created hidden luxury fortresses inside planetary cores. But nothing I have done has prepared me for this delightful little planet. Imagine a whole world on the cusp of awakening that still thinks it's all alone in the universe. Oh, Detective Moon, what a delight. Catch me if you can. <laughs> so he's here too. Oh, that is not good news. He's the worst baddie I've ever written. You must need my help to find him, don't you? To stop him. That's why you found me, right? No, Tom Cord. Different than you think. Must show you. Have been busy before finding you. Take look. The suitcase? It's enormous. What's in it? No words, Tom Cord. Must show. Take look inside. Okay. Holy! That's- Maximus Wolf. Yes. But he- He- I guess I should have expected. Of course you would. That's what you do. But what did you do to him? Exactly. Made him more portable. Also preserved him. Did not want him to smell. You shoved him in a suitcase. He's all... I don't even want to think about it. It's murder. Funny term, Tom Cord. Funny world, this. Your sword, does it even work in this world? There's no Sigma Force here. It still has some use. This is a tough one. You killed Maximus and you don't know what to do with him. Is that it? What do we do with the body? Think, Tom, think, come on. It's strange. Oh no good or bad guys inside this world. Endless shade of gray. Events without reason, resolution. Do not like. Home of Xandor was vicious, bloodthirsty, often cruel, but had some sort of purpose and end. Shaped by the hand of creator. Guess that would be you. Josie, what are you doing? Tom Cord. Should not best-selling author be more in touch with motivation of character? Tell me instead, what does Josie Moon want? Revenge. For your lover. Right. My dead lover. Tortured and alone, set to die before my eye in agony. Was helpless to stop it. Felt... bad. And so you found Maximus and you did this? Yes. Very good. So you've done it, and now you've fulfilled your quest, and you don't know what to do next. Is that it? No, Tom. Again, you misunderstand. Quest not fulfilled. Maximus killed, but Maximus not act alone. He didn't? No, he did. He was the mastermind. The big bad. The final boss. Look, I'll show you the manuscript to the next- No, Tom Cord. Had months to contemplate. Interesting thing. Maximus tortured my lover Tor to death but not really his idea. Maximus not killer, but instrument of killer. Was like weapon. Someone else need for death to happen. What are you talking about, Josie? He was it. The big boss. 
your arch enemy, the last guy you had to vanquish before I could put your story to rest. When found Maximus after months in this world, he was homeless, living in alley. By himself was no threat. Maximus begged for death. I gave to him. My god. After killing Maximus, I realized. Tor's horrible death useful to someone. For dramatic tension. Irony. Horror. Can understand. Better story. My pain make you very good story. Very good story make you money. Took me some time, but I understand now what you do, Tom Cord. I understand why you do this to me. Josie, no! Josie! I understand, but knowing does not make pain go away. Josie, no! I'm sorry! By third law of Xandor, I claim vengeance! Josie, no! <laughs> That's not canon. Would have told you to prepare to meet Maker, but I just met mine. It was disappointing. Also, my dialogue often awkward and contrived. You say next manuscript in your briefcase? It is found. 600 pages, Tom Cord? Anyone say you need good editor? Lucky for you, I'm available for job. That was Crossover Fiction, written by Greg Lamb. It was performed by Juliana Johnston as Josie Moon, Eric Odom as Tom Cord, and Rob Smith as Maximus Wolf. All right, so with me now is the very talented writer of this story, Greg Lamb. How are you, good sir? I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm doing really good myself. Uh, now, Greg, you're a playwright. You're a screenwriter, you're a podcaster, and not only that, I read that you're also a board game designer, which is really freaking cool to me because in my house, we do board games a lot as well. Um, and that makes you the first board game designer on this podcast, actually. Uh, so that you know of, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so for people out there who aren't familiar with you and all these other things you do, could you give us a brief summary of yourself and how you got involved in all these different things? Uh, I just spent quite a long time just searching for creative outlets. And for a while, like over 10 years, uh, board game design was the one I could figure out, uh, just sort of in the self-publishing model. And I started with like abstract games with like no theme or anything, um, uh, just pieces moving around a board and moved on to things like a dexterity game involving picking things up with chopsticks competitively or uh, uh, or strategy games uh where you run a restaurant. Um, but then, you know, at, recently I've been figuring out the business of playwriting more and being able to get things out there. And uh, that's what I've been putting most of my creative energy in these days. So as far as playwriting goes, how did you initially get into writing plays? And was that your first medium or were you, did you try writing novels or poetry, anything like that? Or were you just straight dialogue driven scripts like uh, screenplays and uh, plays and i've always uh written say uh, plays ever since like high school and college um and i have written novel type things in my writing group but i have never really gotten that around um but even even while i was doing game design as my main creative thing i was always doing plays i had gotten a 
a number of plays on the Boston Theory Marathon, for example, uh, over the years. Um, and as sort of the submission process has become easier in recent years, I've been able to uh, get into more opportunities around the country and, uh, and that's just incentivized me to uh, um, concentrate on playwriting more. All right, so now let's talk about uh, the play the audience just heard. It's called Crossover Fiction. Uh, before we get too deep into it, I wanna give people background on how I came across it. Because uh, you originally sent me a different play and I read that one. It was about the two inanimate objects. I think it was a treadmill and a computer chair. And it was a clever, fun little story. Um, and then after I read it, I was like, this is good writing. I kind of want to read some other things that this author's written. And so I dove into your new play exchange site and I started looking at stuff there and I found crossover fiction. And as soon as I read it, I knew it was one, it would be perfect for audio play. Like I said, it, like science fiction is just such a great atmosphere for audio plays because you got so much sound effects and stuff to play with. And so when I reached back out to you, I was like, you know, the play you sent me was good, but is there any chance I could do this other play you wrote instead? And uh, sure enough, here we are with crossover fiction. Great. Yeah, the uh, concept is one I've been playing around with for a while. Uh, just the idea that, you know, as writers, we have characters and we put them through uh, ordeals for our entertainment. And if the characters were ever to meet us in real life, and know that we are the cause of all their ordeals, then uh, they may or may not have certain feelings about that. And uh, you know, the characters created in stories coming into the real world, it's not a new concept. You know, it's been done in movies and books, but the way you did it, you gave it a more, like a fresh and creative take. Uh, so what is the, you say it's a story you've been wanting to play around with for a while, but is there an origin story to it? Like what made you want to write this story in particular? Um, I don't remember the particular impetus. It was written a while ago. Um, I just know that uh, I like working in genre and I like working in genre where people are sort of familiar with the tropes. So if you just sort of uh, sketch out the various tropes, in this case, you know, a... Uh, science fiction series, just uh, sketch out the broad strokes of what is in that world, then we as an audience can fill in the details of, okay, this is a detective in a sci-fi world, and there's like a long line of novels that are, have fleshed out this world um, of this uh, alien uh, cyborg detective. Um, and so just sort of uh, sketch in a few vivid details and have the audience fill in the rest. Right, right. It's definitely, a, it definitely feels like a snapshot of this bigger universe that the audience isn't really filled in on, but they kind of get the idea uh, right when it starts. And I love the character Josie Moon. Uh, you, you know, it, it sounds kind of campy, but you know, you call her the psychic alien cyborg detective. Um, and, you know, other writers might've just called her a cyborg, but I, the way you labeled her is it, it fits and the fact that you called her a detective that comes into play later because uh, when she crosses over to the real world um, the audience kind of gets the idea that oh she's a detective that's how she figured out so quickly how to find the creator she you know she's good at this and uh, just the way you pieced all that together and throwing in the fact that she's a detective and it kind of pointed you in the direction of the ending you were aiming for and I think it was just really well done the way you did that thanks for Josie 
what 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 do you what do you put in your writer's brain? What do you think would be next for her? I know the ending kind of hints that she's going to rewrite the next novel. Um, is she maybe going to try to find a way to bring Tor back to life? Is she going to try to find a portal to get back home? Is she just on Earth? Did you have any ideas for what happens after the story? Uh, obviously, she is in a world full of possibilities now that she is a. Uh freed herself from her great quest let's say you know everything that was in her way is now gone so she has a lot of choice of what to do now and i think she's probably earned it so as far as the staging of crossover fiction you originally wrote this as a stage play and from what i understand it's had readings at theaters and i think on other podcasts where Actors would read the characters and someone was reading stage directions, sort of reading the script as is. Have there been any theaters that have produced it in its true form, the way you imagined it on the page yet? Like, have they uh, put on yeah, a production? No one's actually, yeah, no one's actually done a, a real production live on stage of this as of yet. It's all been readings or, uh, you know, just recordings. Just no, uh, no one's... Uh, wanted to take on this as a real stage play so i did a full-length play that had a production of uh, a set on a spaceship and i learned that uh stage designers are secretly wanting to work on uh, spaceships <laughs> and and you know not i don't have to design another living room i get to do a spaceship that's awesome and like some people were so enthusiastic so i think there is a uh hunger for genre stuff in stage design but you know it is hard to do for a 10 minute play to uh to think of uh you know it's it's easy to write oh just write a just put up trappings of a sci-fi world on your stage you know it's, it's easy to write but then if you're a theater um you gotta really love the play in order to uh, make that happen yeah and, and with 10 minute plays are usually being produced alongside other 10 minute plays before and after so you can't really set up a huge sci-fi set only to have to bring it, try to switch it all out, you know, 10 minutes later for, for the next play. Um, uh, but speaking of the, the full length play that you just mentioned with the spaceship, um, I know which one you're talking about. It's one that I fell in love with when I read it. It's the, your play, the last ship, uh, to Proxima Centauri. Yep. Yes. That uh, I, and you, you have a great talent for writing science fiction. A lot of the plays you write are science fiction from, from what I saw in your, uh, your arsenal of, of plays. Um, but the last ship to Proxima Centauri, I, I read the scripts. And then, like you said, about a month ago, the Portland stage company did a production of it and the set looked amazing. Um, and they did an online streaming of it. So I don't live in Portland, but I was able to get my digital ticket and, and watch their online streaming of it, which was filmed so professional. It was a very theaters that want to do online streaming should watch that and kind of see how it should be done. Um, but I just, the last ship, the Proxima Centauri, is so timely and topical. Um, and, you know, people out there may not be familiar with the play. Uh, do you want to, you know, give us a quick summary? You could probably do it better than I could. All right. Uh, in this play, we follow a uh, spaceship from Seattle, Washington, and uh, on its way to its destination. So uh, all across the world, um, spaceships have... Uh, been launched to bring people away from the earth which is 
experiencing an environmental catastrophe uh, to resettle in the nearest habitable planet, which is Proxima Centauri B. Uh, and they go into stasis while teams of pilots just sort of take turns uh, for thousands of years, bringing a spaceships to the new home. And this one particular spaceship had a delay of hundreds of years uh, before it actually got there. So they know they're there later than all the rest. But as they finally near the um, destination, the two pilots in charge are gleeful and they uh, anticipate um, their life on the new planet and picking up where they left off. But when they start talking with the people on the planet, it does not go as they were anticipating. They are not quite as welcome as they want. Right, and the lovely thing about it, like you said, that this last spaceship is centuries late so all the ships that got there before them, they've already, you know, generations have gone by. They've already formed new ideologies, new ways of thinking that the people on this last ship, they aren't familiar with. And it's like a wake up call to them as they're trying to land on this new planet. And it's just, it's so well put together. I think, uh, I mean, do you have any other performances of that one lined up at all for people to see? Yeah, um, we're in contract stage with a place that'll put it up in 2023. And I'm uh, shopping around, uh, doing the rounds, seeing um, other places that might be interested. So if you are uh, interested in taking a look at that or talking about possible um, productions, please uh, find me and contact me. I'm not too hard to find. <laughs> and and do you have uh, not just this play, but do you have anything else going on creatively? Uh, where can people see the next Greg Lamb play in a theater near them? I mean, the place I pop up most frequently, I do work with the Pulp Stage in Portland, Oregon, uh, and they're a genre um, new play developing theater that has presented online uh, for a while, just uh, just on stage readings online. They have a series called Writer's Nightmare, which they try on just to uh, write new material based on prompts they give us. And every couple of months though, we present it on their uh, website. And I've, they've recently um, started challenging us to do cereals, like uh, pulp cereals. And so I'm working on one uh, called Treachery Island, which is set on an island where they're filming a reality competition show, similar to, but legally distinct from Survivor. Um, and seeing what happens when, during the taping of the finale, the actual apocalypse breaks out. All right. Well, thank you for joining me and for sharing crossover fiction with everyone. It's a great play and we really enjoyed uh, putting it together. And I'll definitely want to reach out again and, and ask you about doing another one of your plays in the future. Sure, that'd be great. Uh, thank you so much for including me. Thank you all for listening. And if you are associated with a theater and you would like to produce this play on your stage, Send an email to gatherbytheghostlight at gmail.com to get connected with the playwright. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. Let us know. Leave us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every little bit helps. And also be sure to follow Gather by the Ghostlight on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. Intro and outro music is provided by artist JK47. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always... Stay safe, and I'll see you next time we gather by the ghost light.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.